You're listening to the Sunday podcast from LifePoint Church in Santan Valley, Arizona. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. For more information, visit us online at lifepointaz.com. Good morning. Good morning, good morning. Hey, it, it is a wonderful day. It's the beginning of February, and we are starting a new series here called Culture Wars, Battle for Your Mind. And so typically on the, any, any given year, I read somewhere between 15 to 20 books. I'm given another 15 to 20 that I don't make it to. And then what will most typically happen is one to two of those will make it into sermon series. And this year, it happened early on. The book is called Live No Lies by John Mark Comer. Live No Lies. And it was given to me by another pastor friend at the end of December. And during my season of fasting that we just finished last Sunday, I read it. And as you know, I took the three weeks off from preaching so the other pastors could speak what was on their heart. And during that time, God made it very clear the message that is presented in here is so well done, so good. And it was in line with where we as pastors were going this year as well. So I'm excited to preach about the devil, the world, and the flesh over the coming weeks and talk about not just a biblical perspective from it, but what is it that we believe? Right? What is it that's vying for your attention? That screenshot there of the kid, can't believe what he's seeing on TV. I feel that way now as a dad. I can't believe what is said and what is shown and what channels are safe, you know? There's not really many safe channels anymore that you don't have to worry about your kids hearing something that you'd rather them not hear yet, right? You'd rather them wait until they hear about a concept and you have to explain it to them. But then what about us? Do you think we're ready for all the concepts that came our way in the last two years? Do you think we handle them well, like adults, without complaining or whining? Two words, toilet paper. We did not handle it well. We'll talk more about toilet paper in a little bit. What do we believe? How do we know what truth is? And I know it's the great metaphysical question of our lifetime, what is truth, as Pilate said to Jesus. But maybe more than what is truth, what I want to look at over the course of these weeks is what lies have we bought into and we're believing? Yes, you Christian. Yes, you churchgoer. Went to a Christian school, grew up in a Christian home. Maybe you just found Christ. Maybe you haven't yet. But what lies? Because if you were told you were believing a lie, would you believe it? How do you know you're not hearing a lie right there? How do you know what's a lie and what's true? I want to talk about that. And John Mark does an incredible job. He's a pastor, I believe, out of Portland, and does an incredible job breaking down this concept. Um, John 8 is where we will be. John 8, 42 through 59. Going to have a little bit of a shorter sermon this morning as uh, we have the business meeting right at the end of service. So if you wish to stay, you can. If you need to leave, you can. We do invite you to stay. It's not just the business side, but it's what we're doing in ministry, what new ministries have come up, how was 2021. So that'll be at the end of service. Just a heads up. John 8, 42 through 59. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me for I came from God and now I'm here. I have not come on my own, but he sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Now, 
That's a pretty harsh statement, right? Do you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? Can you hear me now? What is the deal? Look at, if you have your Bibles, look at the words that precede what I just read in John 42. In verse 41, Jesus says, you are doing the deeds of your father because they said that they were children of Abraham. And, God, and Jesus said, no, you're not. He said, you're doing the deeds of your father. They said to him, we were not the ones born in fornication. We have one father, even God. Those are the words that were spoken to Christ before he utters what I just read to you. And just to be very clear, because in church we dress things up a lot, and it doesn't convey the full power. But do you know what those men actually said to Jesus there? In, in today's language, so you can understand it. That they weren't just being philosophical, that they weren't just having a lively debate. Essentially what they're saying, actually not essentially, exactly what they're saying, is we are not what we would call a bastard child like you. They spoke those words to our Lord. We were not born in this situation, this shameful situation like you. It hits a little harder, doesn't it? When all of a sudden you realize what is spoken to our God is not some refined religious gobbledygook, some beautifully poetic thing, but you realize these men looked him in the eye and said, how dare you tell us who our father is? You. And Jesus responds, Truly, if God was your father, you would love me, for I came from God. Why is my language not clear to you? I'll tell you why, because you're unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil. You want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. For there is no truth in him. Jesus stops holding any punches, right? I mean, there, there's no mixing language. There's no parables here. He is straight up. This is not metaphor. This is not revelation. This is not prophecy language. This is straight up literal language. So pay attention to this. There is no truth in him. When he lies, the devil, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and he is the father of lies. Yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I'm telling the truth, why don't you believe me? He who belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. The Jews answered him, but aren't we right in saying that you're a Samaritan and demon-possessed? <laughs> I am not possessed by a demon, Jesus said, but I honor my Father and you dishonor me. I'm not seeking glory for myself, but there is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. And I tell you the truth. There's that word again. It happens over and over in this discourse. If anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. At this, the Jews exclaimed, now we know that you're demon-possessed. Abraham died, and so did all the prophets. Yet you say that if anyone keeps your word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died, and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? Jesus replied, if I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My Father, whom you claim is your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you. <laughs> 
But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. You're not, 50, you're not yet 50 years old, the Jews said to him. And you tell me you've seen Abraham? I tell you the truth. There it is again. Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, what? I am. I am the I am. At this they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself slipping away from the temple grounds. Would you bow your heads as we pray? Father, Lord, what must have that conversation been like? How many times have I stood in the place of those Pharisees and in my own way yelled at you, questioned you? Help us, God. Where we do not have eyes to see or ears to hear, would you open them? Would your Holy Spirit move and do mighty things in here this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. So last week I told you about the Jordan Peterson, Joe Rogan interview. Did anybody get a chance to watch it? Good, got a few, got a few. I'm telling you, this thing is fire. I'm going to be showing you more of it uh, over the course of this series because I actually want to bring it in. Uh, here's a man who moved from an atheist to an agnostic because he is seeking. He is seeking as a world-renowned philosopher now. He's out of Canada. Jordan, this is Jordan Peterson, by the way. And as he is seeking the Lord, as he is studying with uh, the brilliant mind that God gave him, he is coming to find a lot of things that he has believed were lies. And so as a thinking man, as a psychologist, a philosopher, a Who professor... Who would have the audacity... Oh yeah, no, we don't want to do that yet. <laughs> ...to claim that they believe... Oh, whew. Still in my thunder back there. It's okay. I love you, and I wouldn't trade you for anything. And so the... Truth is, so he, he's finding, he's seeking the Lord, right? And he realizes, you know, atheism was a lie. It's a foolish lie that man has made up so that he can be his own God. He has done the study. He has found it through logic and reason and science. And I told you in, the, in, in this little four-minute clip, he talks about how the Bible is not just true, but it's the very foundation of truth. In fact, C.S. <clears throat> Lewis said it like this when talking in Mere Christianity. He said, the moral laws, the absolute truth of the Word of God, right? The very foundation of what we all have within us, no matter what culture you grow up in, is like the paper upon which the notes are written. So if you're playing piano, you have a sheet of paper and the notes are there, and then you know what melody to play. And that's the melodies of cultures. Cultures are those different melodies. And what C.S. Lewis says is, the truth of God's word isn't just another melody, and it's the true one. While other melodies are false, it's the very foundation upon which the melodies are written. And so Jordan Peterson's words, he says, it is truer than true. It's the basis for which all thought uh, coalesces, upon which we, we have all of our melodies. In fact, he says culture is a, just a structured category. And here's, here's, a, here's a doctrine of psychology and understanding linguistics is that some ideas are dependent on other ideas, and the more ideas are dependent on one idea, the more fundamental that idea is. Super confusing. I said idea eight times there. What that means is this. If I jump off of this building, I'm going to get hurt. That's an idea, right? A more fundamental idea than I will get hurt is gravity will pull me to the ground. That's why I get hurt. And so 
this idea is not as fundamental as this idea, although it's true. And then there's a bunch of other ideas around gravity, and so gravity is a fundamental idea. It's something that we look at as fundamental, and other ideas are come off of it. So this is what he's saying. And when he says the Bible is truer than true, this is how he describes it. He says, because of its origins and how it has come about and how it has stood through time and what is written in its pages, that it's more of a library than it is a book. It's a library of books. We look at the world through this mesh. He says this low, low uh, definition mesh that we call perspective, and that's how we get culture. It's why you believe what you believe right down to something as simple as brushing your teeth. Who brushes their teeth three times a day in here? Isn't that crazy? You know, 30 years ago, that's what it was. When I grew up, it was three times a day. I even took a toothbrush to school because I was essentially taught, also being in a good Baptist Christian home, that keeping your teeth clean was as close to godliness you can get on this side of heaven. And so, darn it, I did. I did rebel in my high school years, though. I, I only did it twice a day and did not bring my toothbrush to school for fear of being made fun of further than I already was. But where, where does that come from? Who, who brushes twice a day? Okay, yeah, this is like first service. And just once at night before you go to bed? Yeah, we got it. It's okay, you one-sers. You don't need to... I think we're actually the majority. All of those little beliefs, all of those little thought processes have something more fundamental based to them, don't they? There is a reason you brush when you brush. There's a reason. And the reason is more fundamental than, your, than the actual brushing of your teeth. And so this is what he's getting to, and he says this, if there's ever going to be a way to solve the problem of perception, it's going to be to understand that all thoughts, all cultures are written on the foundation that is the Word. This is an agnostic. This is a non-believer saying this. And through science and through rational thought, he has come to this conclusion. Pretty fascinating what you can find if you choose to pursue it, right? And this is new revelation. This was, again, just a couple weeks ago. And so it plays so well into the ideas behind this book. And the ideas are this. Can we show the graphic? That there are three main, uh, three main involvements, three main primary roles that it cause us to believe lies or truth. The first is the devil. Yes, I know, the devil. Does he exist? Isn't he like Santa Claus or Captain America? He's a story made up to keep kids from doing bad things and then adults from doing bad things. Well, Jesus didn't seem to think he was a myth, did he? I just told you, Jesus is not speaking in a parable there to those men. He's not speaking in a story. He's not speaking prophetically. He is speaking literally. So Jesus believed there was a devil and then there's this talk of the flesh, right? You must die to the flesh. And then you see all throughout Scripture the world. And so how John Mark has posed this is the devil is the one as the father of lies who sows the deceptive ideas. The deceptive ideas in our brain that says, I must have somebody, I must be with somebody to be happy. I would be a better person if I had this. I wouldn't be angry if this didn't happen to me. These are just some of the foundational ones we don't talk about. Those are the ones that go on in our head. And then we've got all this whole other sphere of deceptive ideas that play into our thoughts, that play into our actions, what we do on a daily basis, what you do every week, how you speak. Can you believe this? Isn't this crazy? 
These are all foundational things. And so as the father of lies, Jesus says it's his native language. It's what he speaks. It's what he knows is lies. So the first is the idea that we'll look at over the coming month here is deceptive ideas that come from the devil. The whole the devil made me do it thing, we're going to look at that concept. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about underestimating the devil and overestimating the devil. There's error on both sides and you don't want to error on either side. Just put him in his right place, just beneath the foot of Christ. Deceptive ideas sown by the devil lead to disordered desires in the flesh. Deceptive ideas lead to disordered desires. When we experience lust, greed, hatred, selfishness, fear, those are all disordered desires. Now think about every single one of those. Every one of those desires that you have fallen prey to or maybe you're struggling with or you have struggled with or you know exactly the one, if I didn't mention it, that you struggle with, every desire came from what? A deceptive idea. As men, we lust because we're mostly attracted by what we see. And the lie is what I currently have or don't have is not as good as what I'm looking at. And that could make, that, that could make me happy. That's the deceptive idea. And when you, when you allow that idea to settle, right, and you don't take it captive, it creates in you a disordered desire. And when enough people have given over, have given themselves over to the disordered desires that have come upon their life, you have what we call the world, which is a society which has normalized sin. This is such an incredible, beautiful way to phrase something that can be very difficult when you're talking about truth and lies and the devil, right? I thought, man, when I first saw this, I just reread it and read it and wrote it down. And The world is when we normalize sin in society. So now that mesh that Jordan Peterson talked about, that fabric that we're looking through to evaluate our life and what is real and what is fake and what is moral and good and what is some stuff I should stay away from, the very mesh you look through is not this. The mesh you look through is segments of this taken out of it, put onto the society that we call America, and then all of the norms of society that America says are good and true, all the values that America says you should pursue after, like love of self, love yourself, do what's good for yourself, get ahead, be number one, work harder than the next guy, and that's what it is. Freedom is next to nothing. We should have our freedom and no one will stop us. You hear me? This is all through the mesh of culture. So I ask you again, what do you think you believe you hold to, which as I'm speaking these words, causes you to stop and say, huh, do I believe that about marriage? Do I believe that about sexuality? Do I believe that about abortion? Do I believe that about helping the poor? Do I believe that about the orphan and the widow? Do I believe this about my finances? Do I believe that? See where I'm going with this? 
If you take an honest look at yourself, like Jordan Peterson has been doing, obviously, in his life as he's in this, God's walking him through this journey of finding him, as he's taking an honest look and saying, so much of what I have believed is because it filtered through a mesh that was handed to me. And then I, at some point in my life, came and I went to a church service or a camp or maybe I had a neighbor or a relative and they told me about Jesus and they said when I, go to, when I die, I'm going to go to hell. I don't want to go to hell. And so I said a prayer and I made a statement of faith. And so, yeah, now I believe in Jesus. So now I look at the world through this American Christian mesh, which has more stuff taken out of this than my old mesh did, but it doesn't take away much of my American mesh. You see, when we convert Christians in America, we don't want to inconvenience you because then you won't come back to my church. And if you don't come back to my church, how can you give me more money? How can I have a higher number when people ask me what do I do and how many people attend my church? Do you hear me? What I'm telling you is not metaphor right now. I am not speaking in parables. I am 100% telling you this is how we have seen the church go from the head to the tail of culture, from a place of honor in this country to a place of shame. When I was growing up, pastors were looked at with honor. If you knew a pastor was there and you were in a dangerous place, you knew you were safe. There was a good man there. He wasn't going to lie. He wasn't going to cheat. He wasn't going to steal. He wasn't going to do anything inappropriate. He was there to serve the Lord, and part of serving the Lord is loving others and laying your life down. That's how I saw a pastor growing up. It was so funny when I first became a senior pastor out here, I was like, wow, there it is. I, when I walk around, there is this place of honor. Let me tell you, that is gone. There is not a place of honor on a pastor anymore. In fact, uh, it's the opposite. Because so many pastors did not take thoughts captive, it, they allowed the deceptive ideas to take root and to create disordered desires in their heart all while preaching the word from the stage, all while maintaining an excellent outside appearance. And once those disordered desires took hold, they became a part of normalized society. And the world said, you Christians aren't any different than the rest of us. You don't have anything we don't have. And the idea of a pastor became someone who's just looking to make a buck, who's just looking to get ahead. It's someone who needs to fulfill some sort of archetype, messianic, complex desire that he has. And we went from being the head to the tail and from being uh, a place of home to exiles. If you're a Christian in America, you are actually part of the minority. You're a minority. In fact, you're not just a minority. What we believe, what we talk about, the, the, the righteousness that God calls us to live in this life that he says will bring about a better life for you is not just a minority, but it's actually being deemed hate speech. It's actually dangerous. Christian churches were put on the domestic terrorist list last November. Hear me. I just heard after first service, someone said Trudeau is passing a bill that if you speak against the LGBTQ in a church setting, it is breaking the law and there is jail time associated with it. John MacArthur right now is rallying a whole troop of people and trying to get pastors to band together. But that's always been in places, right? Like in the Middle East and in communist places. That's in our backyard. 
And if you don't think, it's coming here. And we've got to open our eyes. That's another lie you're believing. Why do I say that? Because we don't often view ourselves as a minority. We don't want to be a minority. Being a minority is tough. You're not part of the culture. You're an alien in the land. You're like the Israelites were. You're in exile. You don't fit in. You think differently. God has awoken your soul. Did more than awoken it. He brought it to life. And we're living in a society of people who are still dead in their trespasses. And so we walk as aliens in this land. I want to say this here before I close. Have you ever heard about the time that Martians invaded the world from Mars in 1938? Orson Welles' famous radio broadcast. So back in 1938, in a very tumultuous time in America, Orson Welles has this radio broadcast and this radio hour. By the way, radio was all you had, no TV. So families would gather around the radio. Does anybody here remember that? Yep, there we go. I'm looking at you, Jerry. Yep. You gather around the radio and, you'd, and they'd have programs and the whole family would sit down and listen. Well, during this time in 1938, there was a really popular program that just about every single radio in the country would have been tuned to, but not Orson Welles yet. But that show ended 15 minutes into Orson Welles' show. So what happened is people turned over to that station, missing the whole beginning that this was theater, that this was fake. And they hear a reporter from CBS News say, ladies and gentlemen, the most terrifying thing I've ever witnessed, I can see peering out of that black hole are two luminous disks. Are they eyes? It might be a face. But that face, ladies and gentlemen, it's indescribable. He proceeds to say, the whole field's caught on fire, the woods, the barns, the gas tanks, the automobiles, and then he cuts out. And then, a few seconds later, a voice comes on and followed by radio static and says, uh, Americans' worst fear has happened. Aliens have landed on the eastern seaboard. The National Guard has been called in. (laughs) By the way, this is just a reenactment of H.G. Wells' War of the Worlds. Do you know what happened? It was pandemonium in the streets. He says, urbanites fled in terror. People took refuge in churches. Pregnant women went into labor early. People committed suicide. Looting broke out in the streets. It being America, men got out their guns and were ready to make their final stand. One woman ran into a church prayer meeting in Indianapolis and screamed, New York has been destroyed. I believe the end of the world has come. You might as well go home and die. Life as we knew it was over. Very smart, very educated, very rational people for a brief moment in time across this whole country believed the world was coming to an end and acted accordingly. And so it begs this question of us, how easy is it for us to slip into a lie? So often we look at the older generation And uh, there's a term for this that I'll bring up when I speak next week, the Flynn effect. Where we look at the older generation as not being as savvy as us. The Flynn effect essentially said that each new generation has a higher SAT score than the previous. And the reason that's been debunked, because if that's true, then where our kids should be now is like Einstein-level genius, and they ain't that. I don't know if you've (laughs) noticed. In fact, we may be reversing from where we once were. 
I love this generation. I'm, right? And so there's this thought that says, okay, so what could I possibly be believing that isn't true? I mean, I don't know if there's anything I'd give up. I might do the toothbrush thing, but is there anything about God? Is there anything about church? Is there anything about how I live my daily life, how I interact with people that might not be true? Because if there is, God help me. Jordan Peterson, once again, within the last week, he's doing this whole tour and explaining a lot of what he is finding and seeing. And uh, there's the one on the cross I told you about. And then I want to show you a clip here that one of our pastors shared with us uh, this weekend. It's about 90 seconds, and it's a, it's a very deep, profound thought. And then I'm going to close with the one thing that Jordan Peterson is still missing, but go ahead, let's see if we can roll that clip. Yep. Who would have the audacity to claim that they believed in God if they examined the way they lived, who would dare say that? To, to believe, you think, to believe in a Christian sense, to actually, this is why Nietzsche said there was only ever one Christian and that was Christ. To have the audacity to claim that means that you live it out fully. And that's an, that's an unbearable task in some sense. To be able to accept the structure of existence, the suffering that goes along with it, and the disappointment and the betrayal, and, and to nonetheless act properly, right? To aim at the good with all your heart, right? To, to dispense with the malevolence and your desire for destruction and revenge and all of that, and to face things courageously and to tell the truth, to speak the truth and to act it out. That's what it means to believe that's what it means. It doesn't, it doesn't mean to state it. It means to act it out. And unless you act it out, you should be very careful about claiming it. And that guy's not a believer. In fact, he goes on to say, the reason I haven't made the jump to be a believer is because I don't, I can't, I won't be able to act it out. I won't be able to measure up. And you see, he's so close. Do you see it? He's so close. He's right on the doorstep of seeing Jesus Christ. But he's still seeing Jesus Christ as a transactional system where I give him good life and obedience and truth and follow everything he told me and he gives me the title of Christian, the title of son. He's still not understanding the relationship that Jesus came and died for. I'm sure he's married, or, and at one point he had to say to this person, I will be with you forever, till death do us part. He had no idea what marriage would ensue, but inside of that covenant relationship, two people have to give and take, they have to forgive, they have to mess up, they have to continue on, they have to push through, they have to grow from their differences. This was the purpose of marriage. Paul tells us about that in Ephesians. And I'm telling you here today, that with as much truth as this man knows and with the amazing work God's doing in his heart, that science and logic will only get you so far. At some point, you have to see that God, the God of the universe, wants a relationship with you. He wants to enter into a covenant with you. And that covenant is based on the foundation of Jesus Christ's blood. 
you won't be perfect, you will mess up. But those words are still haunting. That just because I made some statement years ago or just because I go to church and I make the statement weekly on my Facebook or Instagram posts, if I'm not acting it out, his warning is very real. Be careful because you're claiming to be something you're not. And for me, that's a big one as we enter into talking about the devil next week is, God, what deceptive ideas have taken root in my life? Can you ask yourself that this week? Would you do that? with your spouse, in a journal, whatever you're writing down, what deceptive ideas, and then ask God. He'll reveal them to you, and then bring them next week as we talk about how you defeat them and what causes them, where they come from. Let's bow our heads. Father, I thank you, Lord, that it isn't transactional. I would have failed a long, long time ago. I am only worthy to be called your son because of what Jesus has done on the cross and how he rose from that grave and sits at a place of power now. I receive that. I receive that, Lord. Lord, I pray over this week you would reveal to those who are here, to those who are willing to ask and to seek places that they have bought into lies and that they've allowed those lies to create disordered desires. Lead us this week as we go. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have the bread and the cup, we're going to come to the table of the Lord here and we're going to take communion. As Jesus sat with his disciples, he explained to them, after breaking bread, he said, this is my body. This is my body given to you. Let's taste and see that the Lord is good. And then he would take the cup and he would say, this is the blood of a new covenant. There's that word again, covenant relationship between God and man. And he asked them to drink, that they would remember from this day forward, whenever they were gathered together, that we are not bound under the covenant of sin, we are not held bondage to it, but under the covenant of Christ's blood. Let's drink together. Thank you, Lord.